Yo, 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 welcome back to the Beat Boat. I can't really do that. Welcome back to the Beat Motel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mr. Andrew, and Mr. I'm another Other. one. You're another one. You're definitely a one. <laughs> this is Dr. Sam Page, my fellow Beat Motel podcast host. Right, we have another introspective uh, ego massaging episode for you today. The theme for today's episode, would you like to introduce it, Sam? Uh, it was It's gateway bands, but gateway bands, not as like the big ones that got you into uh, like the broad alternative space, but like the ones that got you into niche spaces. Cool. So yeah, so niche gateway space. bands so, of gateway bands. So it's not like, yeah, Led Zeppelin got me into metal. It's yeah. not that obvious. No. Okay, so do you want to go first or shall I go first? Sure, whichever. Um... Oh, before we do, uh, listeners, we get we get 10 slots. Basically, the software we're using for this podcast recording gives us 10 soundbite slots. And we can't play anything for longer than 30 seconds because otherwise we'll get shafted by licensing and whatever, which as a member of PRS, as a performing musician, I'm on board with. I'm fine with that. <laughs> All the uh, £1.30 a year I get in royalties. But I've decided, so we've got five choices each, five gateway bands. Now, I've decided to forego one of my slots. And instead, I'm going to try a new feature, which probably won't last, because I think each time I suggest a new feature, it's probably going to die on its arse immediately. But this new feature is Riff of the Episode. Oh, so I thought maybe we could take it in terms, or or just do it. However, that if you've heard a riff in the last couple of weeks that really made you go yes, or a sound, or something, then it would be good to share. So I'm going to share the riff of the episode, and then I'll tell you who it was afterwards. Here's the riff. So what do you think of that? Prog metal. That's quite a lot going on there, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot. There's, I'd say there's more than one riff going on there. Uh, is it Between the Buried and Me? No, yes. it's, no, it's oh. Emperor. Is it? Fuck. It's Emperor. The ba- oh, okay, shit. It's that, not, s- uh, mm. it's that it's Depraved, which is off uh, the second track off their album... Uh, Prometheus, The Discipline of Fire and Demise. That's the one with good production, because the one I own, uh, which is their second album, I can't remember what it's called, the production sounds like arse, whereas that really <laughs> sounds like... How does that, that conversation sounds... happen in the studio? You're the producer. Well, what are we going for with this? Well, I've got a hairy arse, and I want it to sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, I, I think there was a point where uh, Emperor were a band whose ambition with the studio outsized what the studio could do at the time wow but uh they did it nonetheless but then you have this sort of like uh at least the second album i think it's the second album 
Um, let's have a look. Make sure uh, it is. It just sounds like there's no, it, you know, like the orchestral stuff is fighting for room with guitars and and all that, and it just there's no room for anything. So to me, that sounded much more. I don't know. Like there's moments of between the buried and me, which that sounds like. Um, which is interesting. It's an interesting thing to take thirty seconds of and see how wrong you can place a so-called genre. <laughs> um, it's an interesting point though about production because there there are some albums from quite a while ago, like New The Shape of Punk to Come by Refused, and I I didn't hear that until it was about ten years old. But listening back on that, the production on that at the time must have been mind blowing. Mm. And there's, I've looked up how they recorded it. They didn't use they used a computer for a little bit of it, but it's long before Pro Tools or anything like that became affordable long before sort of the democratization of studio time. And I think with things like that that Emperor track, it's probably a little bit because they had the money for a proper production, but it's probably quite boringly because the software got good. Studio software got really good. It's in terms of EQing and separating things, it's so much easier. I can do it. You know, that's how how much easier it is now. Yeah. I I wondered with with Emperor, whether their early stuff was because they were being cavult. It's not cavult, is it? It's cult. You know, the sort of the yes. black metal, let's make it sound crap thing. <laughs> Someone told me that was from, like, um, DIY punk aesthetics, um, <clears throat> like crusty punk aesthetics, uh, you know, sort of 80s hardcore where no one could really, like, discharge where no one could really, only the drummer could play, really. Mm. Um, I heard all sorts of tales many years ago about about that sort of db era there's a studio in ipswich i've recorded in a few times and the owner of the studio said he had a, they had an oi band in and they got they were on a fairly they had an, oh, for an oi band they had a good deal i mean that's probably not thrilling but they were given say a thousand pounds to record a, a single to two songs so they they mic'd up the band then they got more microphones and they mic'd up anything in the room that was vibrating <laughs> the, the, the window latches were rattling and they had like piles of keys laying around the place so that when they played everything was just like <laughs> just like <laughs> really doing everything you couldn't and then they managed to record they managed to record the whole thing in less than a day and the engineer the, the guy who owned the studio he said but we've got like you know 800 pounds of budget left and they're like that's the pub money that is <laughs> get money from the label smallest proportion of it possible for it was for the recording and the rest of it was pub money but you know why not was well, the pub- recording good oh they're awful band i'm not gonna <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna name them because oh there's just so many reasons not to believe me uh, um yeah. it's not anyone i've mentioned before um anyway problematic music that we've seen um love yes, a lot of it yes. but i'm just gonna say it's not the wrists because anyone listening to this, there was an Ipswich band called The Wrists, who were an oi band, but they were like, I don't know, parody oi, I guess you could call it. More like hard skin. Oh, God, exactly like hard skin. And they'd always do food-related songs as the last song of the set. And um, I was I was at one of their gigs, and they dressed me up as Mar- uh, Mike Jagger. What's his name? Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger. <laughs> Mike that Jagger. Mark, Mike Jagger. <laughs> We're so we're so into underground music we can't even get his name right. 
Yeah, they dressed me up as um, that that Matthew Jagger bloke, and um, while they played, you ain't seen muffin yet. And I went and handing out muffins. Well, they thinking that wasn't a Rolling Stones song, was it? It was. Oh, who gives a shit? Anyway, let, let's let's go on. To, I've done my my riff of the the episode. Jord, pick up whatever it is that you've just dropped. Sure, and uh, it's just a lid. Sorry for that. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> well, now if you're an annoy band, that could have been like a snare noise or something. <laughs> it was thin and thin. I remember. Um, yeah, so there's my riff of the week. I just love it. It's just so squirrely and weird. Uh, and... Yeah, yeah, that is, that's a good riff. That is a good riff. That's a great it, album. It is a cracking album. We're going to see them in Helsinki, aren't we? Yeah, at Helsinki Festival. <laughs> Hell spelt with two L's. I was going to say, how long do you think the, the festival organisers were in a meeting? What, what should we... I'm not going to try and do a Finnish accent because it's impossible. It doesn't sound like any of the other accent on earth. I'm like, well, yeah, you, what should we call you... the festival? Uh, I don't know. Helsinki. Right, job done. Let's go home. What about the rest you, of the budget? That's pub money. <laughs> <laughs> you, you as a, you, you as a SEO person will appreciate how bad the name is because when you type in Helsinki uh, with two L's into Google, it brings up, um, it brings up uh, Helsinki Festival with one L, and Helsinki Festival is a thing that happens at the end of August, mm-hmm. and it's sort of a city-wide thing. And you as a SEO person will appreciate, actually, you know, it's, it's fun marketing, but actually as terms of things go and like autocorrect with help with Google and stuff, it's actually pretty shit marketing in I, some I, ways. I, yeah, I've struggled to, be, to check the lineup because even though we've got tickets, I'm trying to find the website. It was easier yeah. when we went to Tuska. Because yeah. um, as far as I'm aware, that doesn't mean much else other than loads of metlers getting together. In... It, it means great pain. Oh God, really? Yeah, it didn't look like great pain. We're there, and there was like the, all the metalers sat in hot tubs and having a sauna, and and we went and had yeah, a sauna. It's the nicest. Go, go to, to Tusca, see hairy men just wandering around, their dicks out near saunas. <laughs> Pretty much, that is it. I commented it on the walk walk there. It's like, Sam, there's like loads of ha- naked, hairy, naked men over there, and he was, you're like, yeah, welcome to Finland. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so let's crack on with this. So sure. these are these are the gateway songs. So because you've got one more track than me, uh, let's play let's play yours first. Sure. So here it is. Have you got a note? Do you want to introduce it, or do you just want to say what it is afterwards? No, let's afterwards. Let's go for it. Okay, here we go. Let's play it. Whoa. So that's Cap Down with Pound for the Sound. That wah in that. I've never picked that out of that track before. That's fantastic. What a brilliant sound. So that album, like, kick-started. Uh, that was, I was like, I was, what, 16 when that came out? And it, what, what year is that? 2000. Uh, oh, God, really? Yeah. And it kick-started for me. Like, I knew, I, I like, this discovery. One, it sort of seemed to kickstart a really vibrant scene in the UK punk underground. Um, 
and two, it like coincided with me moving to the UK, my family moving to the UK. And it was, uh, yeah, I knew about King Prawn before, but King Prawn was sort of, they did their own thing. And I always loved King Prawn, but they did their own thing with Catdown were associated with this record label called Household Name. And Household Name sort of became, to me at least, the sort of epicenter of all the new, all the coolest bands that were coming out of the UK at the time. And so for me as a 17-year-old, it wasn't just American punk. It was, this is the UK underground. And that UK underground was sort of my home. That punk underground was my home, particularly in Brighton, for, you know, good six years I would say and this is where we met and maybe longer because when did we go to Germany 2008 oh wow we we knew each other well by then didn't we but yeah 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 so it was it was you know it was it was good 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 couple of years and Capdown were the band that were at the forefront of it and their second album I think is a better album but that first album was just like the kickstart of it for me, at least. And it was the sort of a game changer. And it was this point where you had this, to me, it was like, there's there was, like was, as Laura Jane Grace writes, there was nowhere else in the world to be. It was the perfect spot for myself at that time. Um, and yeah, so it was a gateway band into like the UK underground. And it was uh, incredible. Uh, place to be in, you know. I'm trying to think of what my my gateway into that whole scene was, and it was zine, it was almost definitely zines, because mm. the yeah the punk underground. I was playing gigs, traveling around, putting out zines, writing for other people's zines, and it, it that was very much my gateway into it. I, I can see the cap down. They were definitely at the forefront. I mean, they they yeah, were yeah. so popular. To to put it into context, the first time I saw Against Me at Reading Festival, I. I knew which tent they were going to play in because I'm well organized. I don't want to give you that much detail. <laughs> but anyway, knew what tent they was. They was in, and they was in. the 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 band before was playing, and it was Capdown. And there were so many people watching Capdown that you couldn't get within a hundred yards of the outside of the tent. Yeah. It was you, you know, the main sort of field at Reading. You look back, and the main arena bit was kind of half empty, but everybody was watching Capdown, and then. Capdown went off and Against Me were on next and we watched Against Me with about 10 other people. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, like, yeah. It, it, it's wild to think just how popular they were. Then they spawned, well, then there was then Lightyear. And was, like, that's what I mean by the whole, whole, how, a whole household, household name uh, thing. You know, you have, fine, you have some of it. They, they did UK hard, you know, UK hardcore stuff, but then they had, after Capdown, what's that? let's look at the Wikipedia. They, the they, Arteries, who were the, probably the last great band of that era, I would say. Fig Four, they did. Mm-hmm. It was Fig uh, 4.0, was it? Or Fig Four? Yeah, Fig 4.0. Uh, but who else? Oh, come on, yeah, E. Wiles, uh, Zatopex. Um, they're, they're, you know, just they, picking up bands that really sort of I really liked. Uh, they start to do some things that I thought might actually crack through to the mainstream. They they did a a brilliant couple of EPs, which I've got somewhere because I don't I haven't been able to find them on streaming services. They did a couple of EPs. 
that had Jay, the singer of Interestrials. It had, I think, one of Capdown, possibly. But there was Sonic Boom 6. I think was it had this a couple the King of... Blues? No, no, it wasn't the King Blues. Because, oh. because, well, I forgot about them. They kind of went on signed to a major fairly early on. Yeah, they got big, but I always thought they were shit. Now there was it was some other band and it, it was like a super group that they just did a couple of e, two EPs, but those two EPs were just fantastic. I think so, mm. was it were they called Sonic Boom Six? They, were Boom Six of, they weren't to do with household name, but they they you know they're still going. They got pretty big. Yeah, I was sort of think think of it as all all a sort of the, <laughs> the same scene. It was uh, was it someone called Karen who ran household yeah. name? Yeah, it was it was all the same scene. And oh, I just want to like. Adequate Seven, Anti Maniacs, Belvedere, uh, Bombshell Rocks, um, Freed Seventy Seven. Apparently, at one point, the Skywalkers, who was I think Swedish. Oh yeah. Um, Is it that Insign, The Filaments, Five oh, God, Knuckles, Fomers, former cellmates, Griswolds, who I know Ben from. The hell yeah. The hard uh, hard skin were on it. Hostage, um, Howard's alias. How yeah, say, it was so like, this, this is in danger of you saying band names and me going, oh, yeah, but I, I remember yeah. I, I made badges for a lot of these bands because I was making badges at the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, but, I think I mean, it was... You, you've kind of peaked, you, you pitched in quite high there as, as an entry thing yeah. into... Everything else genre. is going to be really personal, so... Oh my god! This is people who listen to this podcast are going to be getting a very clear idea of, of who has the cooler uh, music taste. Here, I'm, I'm going to play. Oh my god! I'm going to play the track that I've chosen next. Here we go. Any second. <laughs> So I chose that because the band is actually quite a big band, but we said we wouldn't have big bands as gateway bands. It had to be something obscure. So I thought, if I can't make the band obscure, I'll make the track obscure. Can you name the band? It sounded a bit like Blur. Oh, well done. I am really impressed you got that. What gave it away? What what what, what made it clear? It was, I think it was the cheese the cheese making bass line. And the... <laughs> cheese make, <laughs> but there was, there was cheese making Tory baseline. <laughs> to me, there was something very British about just the sound of it. But also, there's something like Graham Coxon's. Like you have a the baseline is not going in the same direction as the guitarist. The guitarist is trying to fuck with things, and I love mm. Graham Coxon for that. And the baseline is still nice. It's nice, but the guitarist is really trying to bring it an edge to it. I, I, I want to tell you what the song's called. So it's Blur, and the song yeah. is "Won't Do It." And it I was heard it. there was there's no other way, which is their second single, got to number I think eight in the UK charts. It was a smash hit, and we talked in a couple of episodes ago about how labels used to put out more than one version of a single. There is a version that I've got. I've got 
on <laughs> on 12 inch of there's no other way and it's it, same cover but it's in it's inverted so it's you know like negative and there's a, a horrible 90s remix of there's no other way which sounds exactly as you imagine it would but then there's that track which i absolutely love because of the, the bass playing the cheese making a uh, tory playing bass there and uh, another track a live track called day upon day which is recorded at the moles club in bath and day upon day was just such a, a it was like denim being ripped while it's on fire so blur's first single she's so high so and then there's another way which is just a rip-off of um cmle play by uh, you know by um pink floyd but those b-sides which were the obscure alternative version of the single b-side so like buried away i just thought were really really interesting and that weirdness of graham coxon's scratchy guitar I can remember at the time being really confused because he was talking about American hardcore bands at the time. I mean, this is 1991. So he yeah. would have been into, I guess, the whole Discord scene. So would that be late Discord, 91? Well, yeah, it would be, but it would also be like Riot Girl sort of stuff and minor, not Minor Threat, what they called uh, the band that came afterwards. Uh, Fugazi? Fugazi, yeah. Um, it would have been that. And also, like, all the stuff that I guess Nirvana were working off, the SST stuff, the late, mm. you know, the Minutemen and all that sort of uh, stuff, where it was pretty, you know, sort of transforming, I would say sort of transforming from sort of punk into punk, punk experimentalism into sort of American indie and and also sort of grunge at the same time. So yeah, so that that opened my ears to to yeah. more more discordant music, but also to be fair, it got me into just going to see bands and seeing live music, and and, and it was before it's before Blur really got into their their kind of mockney pomp of Park Life and and the Great Escape. But through that, I also discovered bands like Small Faces and the Kinks. And, and ended up kind of getting really, really into those bands. So that that was what it was as a gateway for me. Yeah, I but can see that. I'm also just being an elitist wanker by choosing a, a track that you didn't know from a band that we both periodically like. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, that the 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 Cockney, the Mockney pomp, um, as you very well put it, Cockney pomp and pomp or Mockney pomp. Mockney. Uh, but, oh, they're they're from Cockney. Yeah, it's definitely which, Mockney. It's, it's, which is not in the... You have to be born within the sound of the bow bells to be a copy. Yeah, yeah, my, my, yeah like my son. He can't say his H's. It's Halloween, not Halloween. Um, <laughs> so just the idea of your, your son being like, like Bart in the city. Shine your shoes, governor. <laughs> oh, fun with the missus. That's um, right. That's, that's, that's abused me greatly. I, you know, when I, was, when I was started to get into music, that mock me pump sounded so good. And there was always, and the thing that I think I kept going back to was not Damon Album, but was actually Graham Coxon trying to make pretty songs horrible. And I love him for that. There's so much brilliant just screeching. Yeah. See, even in even in some of the tracks which are so poppy and so saccharine, like Country House, they're number one. Mm-hmm. It, not so much Graham Coxon's guitar playing in that, but the refrain that he has in it because it's all loose in an edge <laughs> <laughs> Dick Van Dyke doing things up to me <laughs> just very 
that kind of thing. And then you've got Graham Coxon's refrain of, I'm so sad and I don't know why. I'm so sad. And I, don't, <laughs> I just like, I can remember even, even at the time, because I was, you know, I was, I don't know, 15 or 16 when that came out. Just thinking, wow, that's so much more interesting as a, as a kind of a texture than just. That's not my impression of Damien. <laughs> I've got nothing against him, really. It's just, that was just. It was weird because it was also they were trying to layer on top of that this like skinhead kind mm. of mod thing as well. So I can remember there was controversy at the time because they went from kind of bead necklaces and floppy fringes to you know ten hole blood blood red ox blood DMs and and denim and stuff. Which we we just kind of went, oh look, they're doing the skinhead thing. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> the rest of the world really made of it. it. Just seemed really straightforward to us. I call it a, a reverse Slade. <laughs> a reverse Slade. Can you say the word Slade backwards? Eels. <laughs> sorry, what was that? I just took my headphones off. Eels. 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 Well, that kind of makes sense. There's um there's a, a friend of mine was in a band. Um, that toured with boy george i don't know why i'm giving you that detail but they went on <laughs> they went on to form an, an all-girl slade tribute and do you, do you, have you heard them do you know apparently they're really good have you heard what they're called oh yeah yeah i i've seen them they're great it's it's i love i love slade absolutely adore slade and it's so good to have someone who can actually sort of hold you know and wants to try and hold up those vocal approaches i saw i saw them uh, I saw them a good few years ago, uh, Christmas gig they did in Brighton. I, yeah, I love them. Yeah, they're great. They're called, called Sladey. <laughs> it makes between Slade and Lady. Slady. Which is what a very I... Slade uh, title, really. It is. It's, it's sometimes in music you just go, yeah, that all makes sense. That all fits. Congratulations. No one's yeah. going to bear yeah. that now. That you, you, win, you win the game. Right, yeah. let, let's have another track. We're on to, we had Blur, so now we're on to one of yours. And sure. Again, uh, the listeners are going to realise who's got the, uh, the the more kind of a, Sam is shaking his head, but I, I, I'm always fascinated by your music taste, but that's the joy of music, isn't it? Being interested by other people's tastes. Right, here we go. Hello? Ah, no, here we go. I think of Andy in the cold, wet clay Those three are on my mind With his friends beside him on that brutal day Those three are on my mind There lies young James in his mortal pain Those three are on my Sorry, I hate the way it that is a out. Yeah, um, that's a Pete. That's Pete Seeger, and Pete Seeger, of course. Any, I mean, he's not. He is massive in his own right. Oh, uh, like seven, eight feet tall. Yeah, uh, but he, he. To me, it's sort of like it's been a gateway thing into like American alternative folk in a way. How, how did you um, discover that? How did how did because that seems so left field? Well, because. So when we moved to Finland, which is two and a half years ago, middle of 2000, we went our first sort of family holiday was under semi-lockdown. So we went um, 
we saw we hired a car and we drove around uh, parts of uh, Finland near the Russian border um, for two weeks and had a lovely time. And we would sort of uh, this might be in two thousand and one actually. Uh, we um, we used going between places as the sort of point where my kid would. Um, my son would sleep in the car because that's what it, it was sort of down to a point at that point of like, he would have a nap a day and we could sort of be about two hours long and we would drive between places. And so he would sleep in the car and every other piece of music I tried, um, he just sort of found it a bit aggrieving, but we all found Pete Seeger really calming to listen to. And I don't know why. I think I was just sort of going, there was something to do with um, his cheekiness. He so he played, I think, the second Obama inauguration, maybe the first one. I'm not sure, but he did the entire version of "This is my land, this is your land," and he leads everybody through it. It's an amazing recording because he does the communist version, which originally was a communist song written written by Woody Guthrie, and so he was. He was sort of in my head. I was like, oh, I wonder what else he's done. And I just, perchance, just put it on. And something like, and so I listened to, uh, like, the essential Pete Seeger endlessly, just endlessly, endlessly, endlessly. And it was the point where I started to get into sort of like, oh, I wonder what else is in that. I could have done uh, Hank Williams um, has been uh, another one, but it was Pete Seeger who sort of opened me up to that sort of American folk country-ish sort of world. And so that's why I went for that. And uh, that song just, I think, you know, I love the politics of it as well. It's it's, it's not uh, ashamed of the politics. Um, it's a very modernist perspective on life when things are good and things are bad, but it's really... Like, like, there's a sort of um, a beautiful simplicity to it all. And I found it very uh, engaging, and I still do. And that makes me want to look out for more. Otherwise, like, you get the hippie folk stuff, and it gets a bit earnest. I can't be fucked with Bob Dylan. I don't know. He just winds me up a bit. Um, and so Pete Seeger is sort of my gateway into Americana, I guess. Americana? So Americana, I don't really, I don't really know what the definition is. So, what is, is he still alive? I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you. No, he he died a few years ago, which might have been the reason why um, he was uh, he died at a ripe old age. He, that might have been the reason why. Uh, yeah, two thousand fourteen, he died. Oh, so it recently. wasn't necessarily that recent. I don't know why he was on my mind. Recent, you said not nine years ago. That's not recent, is it? No. No, no I was 30 then. Cool. Okay, so that, that that's a... I can see kind of quite clear, even sonically, but also lyrically, politically, it is it's a gateway into a whole lot of other stuff, and it is a yeah. massive genre. It's absolutely huge. There is, I think someone... Hang on. Oh, somebody's playing the drums in a building there. <laughs> I'm probably not coming across on the. On the uh, I can't hear it. Okay, that's fine. Give it some punctuation. Forget I mentioned it. Um, right, so next track. Let's go for one of mine. 
uh, we might have kind of covered this off really when you with your with your kind of cap down track but i'm going to play it anyway because why not oh can i actually click the button this time <laughs> And I once always saved Any number can play Any number can play Any number can play Any number can play Yeah, it fade out there. It's not going to help it. Um, <laughs> can you name the band? I, I mean, I don't want to. Uh, no use for a name? Yeah, no use for a name. I, I don't I ch- know the song, but I knew you were really into them for a, a long time. So I was a fair guess. And it, it all came about. My gateway into that was, was zines again. And mm. one of the zines I wrote for was called Real Overdose. And the guy who ran it, a guy called Wolfie, he they he used to get letters from Fat Mike. They used to write letters to each other, which seems kind of awfully quaint and lovely now. Yeah. Fat Mike would sometimes send him boxes of CDs and literally just say, "Can you just hand these out to your friends?" And he <laughs> he sent him um, loads of boxes of the Fat Wreck compilation albums. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so I was, I was at a gig or something, and and Wolfie just went, "Oh, Fat Mike's giving me some stuff to give away. Here's a load of here's a load of compilations." And I, punk to me before then, even though this is early 2000s, punk before then to me was Stiff Little Fingers, Wire. Never been that keen on things like Sex Pistols or, or sort of some of the more obvious things. I didn't like the sort of the blokiness of any you know, of a lot of the oi or cocksparrow and things like that. So I think I said to Wolfie, what is it? And he said, well, it's, it's punk. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> and then I put it on and, and what I heard wasn't a load of people from Wolfhamstow singing about lads and whatever. Mm. Um, incidentally, I think the Mac lads are the perfect, the perfect final word in that whole kind of blokey punk thing because they just take it to such a stupid extreme. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to keep going too long about the Mac lads. Um, but what I heard in the compilation and in bands like No Use for a Name was music that was incredibly tight and incredibly well played very well written songs i'm i i'm i can remember thinking at the time no use for a name with different production would just be great pop if you had like Cardi minogue's production for no use for a name the the songs were so strong and and the music musicianhood was was so well thought out and so intelligent and the singing the layered harmonies i just thought this this is such such good shit man that it it, so- it led to me Getting into well, led to me getting to a whole genre, and even even led to things like you and I cycling all the way to Antwerp to go to sort of skate punk festivals and things. And I, I think yeah, Brockfest, uh, Brack 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 Rock Brack Rock Eco Brack Fest, Rock, which was like it's so generic, but it's so much. It is cool. I love it. Uh, I, uh, I like, like, so you, why did why? What, where were you in that whole sort of mid nineties pop punk explosion? Because, you know, for me as a ten year old, eleven year old in two thousand in nineteen eighty four, was you know my brother bringing home Green Day, Dookie, and The Offspring, and um, and just behind that, I guess you have Rancid and No Effects. 
they, those bands were I didn't have a route in to discover any of them I was sure. in a band called Junk Culture from 94 till about 2004 um, possibly 92 actually uh, weirdly two of the other members of that band are in this building I'm recording from and, <laughs> and the drummer is, is elsewhere but obviously yeah, Green Day bloody loved like Kaplunk and slapped out Happy Hours or whatever it is and then Dookie just kind of went massive and at the time, I kind of lumped them in loosely with Nirvana, as in, right, they're a huge band, but you know, they aren't going to give me what I want from music. From at the time, I had a real thing about wanting to understand the motivation of bands and wanting to know how they got. Yeah, because I was a musician, you know, wanting to know how they became bands, how they recorded their album. So when bands got to a certain size, they just sort of felt uh, unrelatable to me. Offspring again. They they came out with very late nineties. They had Pretty Fly for a White Guy was my first exposure to that. And again, it's not not a great a novelty track. Isn't a great way to kind of discover a whole oeuvre or you know, a whole a whole kind of um, discography of a band. But on the whole, I didn't know anyone who who could crack me into that. It's, it's really hard to describe in in modern context in 2023 but no i know i know what you i know i know what you mean it's like i think we've got to an age and we've got and there's a, a, la- a level of resources now where you if you want to you can sit down and discover like the whole wikipedia thing but you know it's like um because it, my next track is pretty much the same thing you know it's it's not that um, like I didn't have anybody. This is something I also a band that I also discovered on a compilation that I was given for free, uh, or maybe it was like five pounds or something. But it was two CDs. So I went, oh, two CDs, and um, how economical! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. I'm only paying but fourteen it, pence a track. I'll take you that. Know, you have. If you don't have a social scene that's going into that space, if you don't have friends who are going into that space, why would you go in into it by yourself? Particularly when you're a teenager, particularly when you're got other things going on, you know. Um, we because I because I was a, in a gigging band. We did play with bands that I realised years later were trying to do that sort of skate punk thing, but doing it really, really badly. I literally never made the connection because that, that drum beat, the sort of no use for a name drum beat, I'm not going to try and mimic it, but it's not that easy to do. So yeah, we played with loads of bands. I'm thinking, what are they trying to do? And then years later, oh, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to be like these kind of incredibly tight, talented bands and they, they weren't. (laughs) But yeah, unless you knew someone who already had the CD or had, read about them you know it, it was there was no way to discover these people whereas now i you know you and i constantly sending back links back and forth of bands that we've just discovered and i, I get the same thing from from bandmates band the bands i'm in now and it's just it's a lot easier and i i, I don't like but it when people but there's this whole world out there that we don't get exposed to you know that's that thing of like it's, it's still the same thing there might be the, a point like a few years later where um, someone goes, oh, have you listened to this band? They've been around since this. And you go, have I missed this? Hmm. You know, oh, that's very, still, that's very, still very easy. That's much, actually, I'd say that's easier to do in a weird way now because there is just the pure amount of output these days. Paralysis of choice now. 
I we've had this conversation before, um, you know, many years that we've known each other. And I, I've said that I largely discover new music through the filter of my friends because I'm almost a bit too overwhelmed to just go out and look for it. Um, the Tidal algorithm's actually been pretty good recently. I've discovered quite a lot of music through that. And I, I don't know how I feel about that, if I'm honest. I don't like the idea of being spoon-fed, but <laughs> shit, that algorithm does does kind of know what I like, and mm. I, I find myself skipping fewer and fewer tracks every time. It's an eclectic mix <laughs> for me. It tends to be like sort of heavy, heavy hip-hop and extreme metal, but... I never thought I'd become that person. But speaking <laughs> of metal, shall we shall we play your next track? Sure, 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 sure. Here we go. sound okay sam who was that that was uh cephalic carnage is that how you say it cephalic cephalic i don't know um it's a medical term it's like classic classic death metal sort of thing let's look at the medical dictionary and get a name out of it <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I would roughly <laughs> i've never i've never realized that before that is amazing right you, you carry on talking i'm going to find a medical dictionary and come up with a band name now who the fuck knows how that's pronounced um <laughs> the song is dying will be the death of me um and again like that was the same i i guess it's i had an idea of extreme metal like i i would say it, it was always a thing but all my friends were into punk so my sort of exposure to extreme metal had sort of died a death, I think, in the sort of the early 2000s for a while, where, you know, I, I and I didn't think anything was interesting was going on in the extreme, in the metal world. I was wrong, but, you know, that's what you're exposed to at the time. And then I got this relapse compilation, and this was a track on it, and this is a track that, like, clicked into me. And this band introduced me to, I guess, sort of reintroduced me to, it's sort of more of a reintroduction to things, which is, uh, or it introduced me to extreme metal, I guess. Um, the last album I bought that sticks out of that uh, uh, sort of genre was I Hate God. They're not uh, I Hate God. No, fuck. Who's the extreme noise terror? Oh, really? You bought yeah, extreme noise terror I, album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got one of their albums. So it's incredible. It's which one? It's like a. It's like a. It's like a really tight uh, napalm death um, thing. But no, I didn't really one, get. One? It's, uh, I'll get the title, um, but it was, uh, Being in Nothing, 2001. Yeah, so I'd think of that as kind of, as as late ENT, but it's it's not, that that is quite old. I might have to listen, I kind of, I know the guys from ENT, <laughs> um, one of them's now a volunteer at Sutton Hoo for the National Trust. Um, oh, cool. Went by the name Pig Killer. Um, 
it's not what it says on his name badge, but is it? Uh, no, no. Uh, but no, I sort of, I didn't really get that sort of side of Grindcore. I'm going to look it up. You can see, this is it. You are the filter for, for recommendations. But so I got that album and then I got like into nothing and then Cephalite College come along and they, on that album, uh, which is called, that song is on, it's called Anomalies, they do Grindcore, they do death metal, they do sludge stuff and it's like it's my favorite album of theirs all their albums are great but that one particularly stands out for me and um is it pre-meshugger pardon are they pre-meshugger um they're sort of contemporaries with them maybe a bit earlier um but it was just oh maybe meshugger was mid-90s really they've been going for a long time um but yeah, it just got me into that sort of like whole world of like when the punk thing broke a bit for me because I, fe- I thought the scene was just sort of everything sound- everything sounded the same. I liked this stuff and household name. A lot of the stuff just seemed to be quite experimentalist. Um, and then it sort of like became, it just sort of stopped being that interesting. And then this picked up and it was like, fuck. And it was sort of the introduction to, I guess, sort of the modern metal underground which has sort of stayed with me and um i get bored of it now and then but that album is just fucking incredible and it it led me to grindcore and i love grindcore and i think weirdly all metal's best genres are the ones most directly influenced by punk and grindcore is definitely one of those it's it's a hell of a connection you you've made there that that would make certainly make more sense as to why we're probably more more kind of into it, kind of what listeners have learned about or kind of our 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 tastes and, and how we we got where they we are i i'm wondering we were talking about production earlier when we were talking about emperor right at the start of this episode and i'm wondering listening to cephalitic or cephalic that band and bands yeah. like um Meshuggah, that i think they'd lose a lot with poor production because it's so tight, and if you've got like so much bleed, but you couldn't in the olden days, you'd have to do it with a crap load of gating and compression, which just robs it of all its power. Well, the uh, we should do a whole. We could do a whole hour on that if you want. That's fun. Um, great bands ruined by terrible mo- um, modern production. I'm going to make a note of that for a future episode. Um, because I just wanted to say there's there's a Finnish grindcore band called Rotten Sound whose whose album has recently been put out and I really really like it. And I also think it's the best produced album they have because they play you know grindcore is this really intensely like they play this really I'd say like muscular version of grindcore and you can be so overwhelmed by the drums in grindcore mm. and this is the first album I've heard of theirs where the drums don't overwhelm everything and you can actually hear what the bass and the guitars are playing. And I've got a few of their like so-called more classic albums and they just don't, they just don't hit because the sound is shit. (laughs) Yeah. It just, it just stops, stops making sense basically. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, what's your next track? Well, before we move on to that, I, um, I've got a few. <laughs> I've, I've I've brought up the uh, Merriam-Webster Medical Dictionary to, oh, to come up with my new extreme metal or extreme death metal band name, and I've just chosen J because I thought J would be the hardest kind of letter to to find a name for. 
Um, I've got junk DNA, which is a bit predictable. Jugular notch, which oh, is that's interesting. A good one. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. I can see that as a grindcore, grindcore band here. Jugular ganglion, which I like. <laughs> Hang on, my, my daughter's here at the moment. And she she just wants to say, Are you, "Is your mother?" Yeah, okay, give a hug. See you later. See ya. Love you. There goes a, a touching uh, vignette of. Okay, take your mother's box of uh, plant bulbs there. Thank you. <laughs> right, so it's, it's half term here in the UK. So my my eleven and a half year old daughter is here. She declined the opportunity to be a guest on on thing. Bye, love you. Bye. <laughs> um, yeah, so that because we've got Jay, there's loads of stoner metal band names because the word joint is in this list quite a lot of times. Oh, the two yes, I've picked yeah. out are joint capsule, <laughs> and then joint fluid. Um, um, I'm gonna have to pause this for a second because my wife's ringing me. Now. Hang on, look, let's see what she says. I am. Hello, she's down. I'm just in the middle of a podcast recording there. Okay, bye. There you go. <laughs> so every member of my little family has somehow been involved in in the podcast today. Oh. Right. Now, out of this huge list, and as you can imagine, there are hundreds of things actually starting with with um, <laughs> starting with J. There's two that really jump that jump out. There's one jumper's knee. I think that <laughs> probably more like a scar band there. Yeah, yeah. They're my absolute favourite, and I'm going to tell you the name of the band, and then I'm going to ask you to decide what genre this band would be called. Jumping Frenchman of Maine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put that in the list of bands that we mention in, in the list for the show notes. Jumping Frenchman of Maine. What does that mean? I don't know. What is it? Let's let's see if we... Uh, hey, listen to our podcast where we go through medical dictionaries and <laughs> Andrew decides he has the maladies he's reading about. Uh, I'm just going to read it so fuck knows what's coming out. Uh, jumping Frenchman of Maine. Individuals who exhibit a nervous condition characterised by involuntary jumping movements among being startled. <laughs> Isn't that just like having a nervous a central nervous system? Like, oh, these poor bastards—they jump when someone makes a sudden loud noise. That uh, <laughs> it does. It says um, suggesting the impairment of the will and inability to concentrate, and are usually of French descent. What? <laughs> This can't be actually in the med. Joe, you know, I'm going to put this link in so people don't think I'm just being racist about French people or people from Maine. Oh man, I can't believe it. it's, it's degenerated into a apologising for for medical racism. I didn't see this popping up in today's episode. Anyway, that links in there. So let, let's move on. So, a lot. Oh God, right? Yeah, especially when we get onto the oi episode. Um, Right, let's let's. Oh God, or black metal for that matter. Oh shit. Anyway, or scar. Anyway, let's let's stop. <laughs> this is going downhill fast. Right, so we had no use for a name. You had you had that band, Sephal uh, them. So I'm going to go for this one now. I've lost it. Here it is. Oh, incidentally, the pause when I click it, that's the length of time it takes me to press record on the browser when I'm setting these tracks up and then pressing play on Tidal or, or YouTube or wherever. So you can imagine when I say go, 
that's the period of time of me moving the mouse down like an old man <laughs> play button but so here's here's my next track Want to have a guess at the band? I couldn't. Obviously, fair play to the bassist. Pardon? Fair play to the bassist who's just sort of like hammering it. This is this is a band that I came to deeply adore, and w- when we kind of came up with the idea for this 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 episode, I think I'm going to have to be truthful and choose bands that that I really really love. Doesn't necessarily mean I still listen to them, but mm-hmm. that's Jesus mm-hmm. and Mary Chain. Oh, okay. called Str- cool. Snake Driver. And yeah. they led me into just so much brilliant music, most notably Velvet Underground. But also, I've, I chose it because of a style of playing, and it's a style of playing which may have indirectly led me towards some metal. Because I read a, a thing about the Jesus Mary Chain once, and Jim Reed, who's in the band, he said, if you're going to play one note, just play that one note really fucking well. And that, that track I chose, I think, is a really good example of that. It is a mm-hmm. note. Well, it's a slight swing. It's like swinging into the note each time. But it's one note, and it's a great song. And if you're going to play one note, do it well. I mean, John Cale, is it John Cale in Velvet Underground? Same thing. Choose a note yeah, yeah. with it. And that, that then opens up tons of, of kind of types of music. Adam Needley, uh, Needley? I think a YouTuber, jazz YouTuber, um, he did a whole sort of episode of his podcast thing or webcast thing where he talks about um, there's a solo in a some song which has like which is on one note and he talks about actually being people sort of going oh listen how shit that is and it's actually it's all about how it's played it's all about how it's yeah it's you know you it's it's a hard thing to do I think um, but you can if you do it with Conviction it can be amazing. That sounded cool. That is a, a geez, a Mary Chain are just they're one of those bands I think have been overhyped a lot. I mean, mm. to the point that it probably puts a lot of people like you and me off listening to them. But they they came up with an album about twenty years ago called Monkey, spelled M U N K I, and it was my first proper introduction to the band because I'd heard them before and there's all the famous stuff like Just Like Honey, which has been used on so many films. And there's the first album, which it just has all the screeching feedback over it. But there is also some moments of absolute genius in G's and Mary Chain. I heartily recommend. In fact, Monkey is a good jumping in point because it's accessible, but it's still kind of filthy. And, and there's a sense of fun to it all. Like the lyrics... Um, he loves Beetle, John, I love G- Beetle, Paul. We don't hate the rest, but we can't love them all. I mean, it's just, <laughs> just sort of nice. It's, it's also got an element of that Ramones sugar gum pop. In fact, they started it only a few years after the Ramones, actually. So they've probably very much come from come from that same kind of, that, that same, I've forgotten the guy's name, uh, Nutter that put guns in people's mouths. Phil Spector. 
<laughs> yeah, they very much come from that that same sort of love of that. Right, we have been rattling on for a long time, so I'm going to move yeah. on to the next track now. Be quick with this. Here we go. How shitting great is that? Who's that? That is, you like that, do you? That's uh, Les Claypool. Um, let me just find the title track. So it's... Les Claypool, bassist of Primus. Yes, Le- Colonel Les Claypool's Fearless Flying Frog Brigade, Riddles Are Bound Tonight, which is a song that he, one of the, he wrote with <clears throat> the original lineup of Primus, who never became Primus. Um, but it's his sort of first foray like big foray away from Primus. Primus sort of put it aside. But I actually didn't choose that for the bass playing. I think it's a great rendition of the song, but I didn't choose it for the bass playing. Actually, I, played, I chose it for the sax solo. Oh, um, yes. Because for listeners, for context, every time Primus is mentioned, I roll my eyes. The fucking Primus. And then each time I hear an offshoot of Primus like that, I'm like, this is fantastic. <laughs> so, well, yeah. So a guy called Skerrick, um, who sort of seems to be involved. I've never really got into anything else he did. But actually, and and listening back to that, it's so much more tame than I remembered it. But 2006, I went to New York and saw my friend, and we went to see... uh, We went to see um, the Flying Frog Brigade... um, at Nokia Theatre in New York, and Hella was supporting. And Hella were a full band at the time. And if you don't know Hella, Hella is the original band of um, Zach Hill. Who's that? Um, who is the drummer of Death Grips and one of the producers oh, of Death Grips. But it just sounded like, you know, the sound wasn't great. It just sounded like, to me, it just sounded like a drum solo. It's like the drummer's amazing, but who gives a fuck? And, but what happened with this Skerrick was like the first time I've heard I've heard saxophone with uh, like things on top of it, like put through effects pedals and stuff like that, and it just sort of took me away from this is a cheesy eighties instrument to what the fuck are people doing with it, and it sort of opened up, and I don't need to play my last track, which is Charles Mingus Monan, um, but. Because it sort of it was further down the line, but what this did was sort of open up, like I say, sort of elements of like the more experimental side of noise music and free jazz and this sort of sort of thing to me, and um, it sort of was downhill from there. Um, and I, you know, I lived in London and spent a lot of time in the last. 10 years at places like Cafe Oto in the Vortex and East London, which are the sort of the epicenters of the noise and jazz scenes. Um, and they're very East London. Um, and I wouldn't have been there for it if I didn't go to that gig, probably. Well, I would have probably ended up there anyway. But that was my first sort of introduction to like treating the saxophone in a very different way to 
uh, how it has traditionally been treated up in, into my mind. It, it, for me, anything that, that takes a traditional instrument or any kind of instrument and does something interesting with it is is always of note. And I'll generally, I mean, I'm a fan of going to, you know, part of the noise scene as, as episode two, two of this um, this podcast made clear. But generally, anyone who's doing something interesting, so there's a guy called, um, oh God, um, Robin, <laughs> Robin Alderton, who's in a band called Dead, Dead Rat Orchestra. And at the noise gig, and I interviewed him about it, he had a couple of old record players playing them very, very, very slowly. And, and just anything like that's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Um, I think we ought to play out with Charlie Mingus because it's such a nice track. It would just be nice to hear it. So I'm going to give you my last track, um, which I'm going to talk about just very briefly. Here we go. I'm going to click, and then it's going to play. Do-do-do-do-do. I'd be amazed if you know who that is. And do you want to no have idea. It's Bomb no. the Bass. Um, Bomb the Bass, and I should have looked at when it came out because that track, I know I was I know I know was young. And you know how people say that when they first heard The Clash or first heard a punk band, they went, hey, this is accessible to me. God, it's 1988, so... Oh, okay, I was 12. That's older than I thought. Anyway, um, I heard that and just thought, I can do this. Because in, in, I know it's insane, especially you know now I have I have got the skills to do things like that. But listening to that, I genuinely thought I don't know where I thought the drums came from. I thought he was just hitting biscuit boxes or something. But the little beepy noise on top, I thought was his Casio watch. I thought the vocals were his mum calling from another. I literally heard that and thought, hey, I can piece that together. So I've included it not because it's electronica and I like electronica, but more because it was the first time I remember hearing a piece of music and trying to trying to uh, dissect it, trying to take it apart into its individual bits, which is what we all do as musicians and in equal measures ruins the music we listen to and enhances it, I think, especially with metal, because metal, you're like, how are they doing that when we should be thinking, how does that sound as a whole it's, it's it's a it's a challenging thing right so we've run up over an hour have you got anything you want to say about bomb the bass i don't know not really but i was aware of that sort of thing but i think that that point of the uh, the ability to overanalyze when you get into a thing to overanalyze and it sort of ruins the magic for it magic of it yeah very easy to do um, and we should, it's hard to then listen again to the whole thing. And then you get other things like, I can't get over the Ramones, dumbest fucking music in the world, genius. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, episode two of the Beat Motel podcast. I interview a guy called Al who does, he goes by the name Weaponize. He does like, it's so wild, the music he makes. It's, it's completely, in, it's just, especially live, it's like, I've got no words, clearly, no words are coming. And he was one of the last people I interviewed, and I interviewed everyone else saying, basically, how, what are you doing on stage? Because I wanted to make it something relatable for people at home to sort of, you know, 
see what a visual thing noise music can be and he said exactly that he said don't you know don't get caught up on how we're making it because you're missing you're missing the whole of it and i was like shit completely right and and i know i thought it was kind of badass and quite cool that he actually called me out on it <laughs> i thought that was really interesting go back and listen to that episode if you haven't listened to it anyone right so i think that is about it now we aim for about an hour and we've, we've gone just past that so i'm gonna suggest we play out with a bit of charlie mingus charles mingus, sounds good so. charles mingus i think he was very he didn't like charlie but yeah Oi, Chuck. charles chucky mingy Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> right chucky mingy let's say goodbye we're gonna play this out and thanks for listening do all the ratings and shit i don't think anyone ever does but fuck it why not right here we go thanks everyone love you you can say goodbye to me. Sam, I can't just leave it at that. Tell us about Charles <laughs> Mingus. Tell us it's too cool. It's it's too cool just to leave. How oh, did you, well, how it's did sort you of my oh well, my mum was into jazz, always into jazz, but I never really understood it. And then there was a point where I sort of worked my way backwards. I got into I went from listening to like extreme you know, experimental rock essentially that got freer and freer and freer. And then it sort of tripped over into the jazz world. And then I got into like Ornette Coleman and uh, particularly Ornette Coleman and then sort of started working my way back into like jazz with form in it. And Mingus was the one that really took me. Mingus was the guy who's, his his structures, he's got feel, His so many of his classic recordings are the, they just feel so fucking cool. And um yeah like there's an element of a lot of classic jazz which is really simplistic riff solo riff solo riff solo and then you have charles mingus and you know i can't do anything when charles mingus is on i can't do anything apart from listening to charles mingus because it's so intense and it's so cool that that's high high compliment indeed that that's cool okay i really am gonna go now so i'm gonna say goodbye do you want to say goodbye sam no